digging the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast with LD, Will the Thrill, and TJ2. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast, where we talk about the lives, careers, and deaths of famous musicians. And this is a little different. You're noticing a little bit of a different voice here. We're switching it I'm up. Admin. Yeah, yeah. So this is Admin Thea here. And uh, this is our little side project we're doing called the Admin Thea's Not Dead Yet Report. Nice. Yay! Yes. All good stuff. Yes. So it's all chaos because these fine folks have uh, given me my little platform to do stuff and things on. And it's pretty exciting. <laughs> nice. We're happy to have you. Yeah, thank you. Right. Uh, the other voice you're hearing is co-pilot here on this one, Mr. Will the Thrill. Hello, greetings and salutations. Yes, yes. So what we're doing today is we're going to talk about a um, a band or musician that has not yet become podcast eligible. And uh, what we mean by that is they are still above ground and not yet pushing daisies. <laughs> they are lives. Yep, still still creating music, still making an impact on the world. So on this episode, we are going to go ahead and cover one of my favorite bands of all time. We're going to cover Bad Religion. Very nice. Now, yeah. Now, Will, you know about Bad Religion, right? I sure do. Yes, I did. There was a phase in my life when I was listening to more punk, and they were definitely on the list. Them and NoFX and uh, Pennywise, for name a few. Yeah. Oh, cool. Very yeah. cool. Very cool. So that's exciting. Yeah, Bad Religion, um, one of my favorite bands. My first exposure to Bad Religion was, you know, when I was pretty young, I was going through my stepdad's record collection, and uh, I found this record that had this cool kind of spacey <laughs> looking cover on it. Um, and uh, it, it was called Into the Unknown. And I was really excited by a band that forced me to pull out my mother's 10-pound Merriam-Webster's Dictionary <laughs> to understand a song called The Dichotomy. Now, to my young teenage self, it was the coolest thing in the world that I had to do that just to understand a song. So we'll fast forward a few more years. Early 2000s, I ended up moving out to Los Angeles and uh, ended up getting very involved in the punk rock music scene. Um, I was in my very early 20s. I don't even think I was 21 yet when I first moved out there and uh, ended up getting involved with a, a good punk rock crowd and went out to shows. And uh, a very good friend of mine, his name is Mr. Fred Wright, um, ended up bringing Bad Religion up to me again. And I realized that it was the band that I had uh, heard through my stepdad's records. And uh, that was it. I was a fan. Um, we were listening to Bad Religion albums on cassette. Nice. Yes. So this is old. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of my introduction to Bad Religion. So I figured I would share a little bit with everybody about them, um, just to kind of give you all a good, you know, exposure to them. And uh, something that we will be releasing along with this episode is going to be a uh, playlist that I've curated um, as pretty much a primer to Bad Religion for those of you that are interested. Um, I know there are going to be quite a few of you out there listening that are serious Bad Religion fans. So let's please hold the vegetable throwing um, <laughs> for some songs that I may have missed. The idea of this is to give the casual music listener a good exposure, a good primer to them. So 
And it's interesting because they've, it. uh, they've had a bit of a resurgence too in recent years. Oh, yeah. Yep. Absolutely. I just went and saw them again last Thursday. Uh, not this Thursday, the Thursday before. It was the 7th, or no, what day was it? It was like, the, no, it was the 12th. Oh, wow. It was uh, October 12th. I went and saw them again. Um, a really big venue here in Den Denver, um, not really big, like arena size um, venue probably holds, you know, probably about 5,000 people. Um, they had moved things around at this venue. It's called the Mission Ballroom. Uh, they had moved the stage forward because this show was about 3,000 people, which is still a good crowd, you know, for, for a good punk show, you know, just, just one band, you know, with openers. Um, that's a pretty good draw, you know, for, for this genre of music. Yeah, and still so intimate, pretty, too. Yeah, still intimate. Not my favorite thing in the world. I much prefer smaller, uh, even smaller venues than that. Yeah. Um, we're lucky here in Denver to have some really cool venues, uh, the Bluebird, the Ogden and their capacities, you know, maybe, maybe a thousand, 1500 people. Um, so I prefer those venues to be honest with you, but it's still exciting to go and see one of my favorite bands anytime I can. Nice. Um, so let's, yeah, so let's get into a little bit of bad religion here. Um, I just want to cite some of my sources. Some of my sources for, uh, my, my research here are from the BR page. Um, which has been basically a fan-run site for a very, very long time that keeps up with the history um, of the band, a uh, really thriving community there. Um, Wikipedia and, or, I'm sorry, it's, it's the brpage.net um, that I did some of this research with. Wikipedia and then other random, you know, articles and sources throughout throughout the interwebs. Very cool. So, yeah, thank you. All right, so we're going to go ahead and start with a brief history of bad religion. Nice. Let's go with the formation in early years, 1980s. Bad religion was founded in by high school friends, Greg Graffin and Jay Bentley. They released their debut album, How Could Hell Be Any Worse, in 1982. During the 80s, they established themselves as a key figure in the Southern California punk scene, releasing albums like Suffer in 1988. Mainstream success... In the 90s, in the early 90s, Brett Gerwitz rejoined the band, um, and they signed with a major label, Epitaph Records, which was Brett Gerwitz's um, record label. This era saw the release of influential albums like Stranger Than Fiction in 1994, No Substance in 1998. The band's intelligent and thought-provoking lyrics uh, set them apart from many punk acts out there. There were lots of lineup changes through the years. Um, this makes them one of the most resilient bands in punk rock, in my opinion. Um, and despite these several lineup changes over the years, Graffin and Gerwitz have remained the core's, um, the band's core songwriters. And let's see here. Let's fast forward a little bit to the 2000s and beyond. In the 2000s, we saw Bad Religion continue to release albums, including The Process of Belief in 2002 which is one of my favorite albums of theirs which one was that uh, they really uh the process of belief oh okay yep incredible album true north in 2013 and they've maintained their reputation for socially and politically conscious lyrics so bad religion is really known for their diverse sound characterized by melodic punk rock and intricate harmonies they have influenced countless punk and alternative rock bands out there uh, their their lyrics often explore themes such as religion, politics, and society. Hmm. They do remain an active and influential band, and they have a very serious, dedicated fan base. Their longevity and their commitment to punk, the punk ethos have solidified their place in the history of punk rock. Greg Graffin, who is their singer, he's known for his career in music 
as the lead vocalist and songwriter for Bad Religion. However, he has a very strong educational background and he's authored several books. A couple of books that he's put out here, he did Anarchy Evolution, Faith, Science, and Bad Religion in a World Without God. That was released in 2010. Hmm. He explores the intersection of science, reason, and his experiences in the music industry with that. He released Population Wars in 2015. In this book, he delves in the concept of a competition in the natural world and how it relates to human society. He also released a biography. I forgot to write this one down in my notes, so I'm just going to grab the book right <laughs> here. This is Punk Paradox. It's a memoir by Greg Graffin. I strongly recommend this. This was fascinating. This talked a lot about um, you know, his, his time with bad religion, his educational journey, his career, etc. And he released this uh, November of 2022. So so, you know, he's 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 a really interesting guy. Um, when he released it was Population Wars in 2015, he I believe it was coinciding with a bad religion tour. I got to go to a bookstore here in Denver called The Tattered Cover and hear him speak on the book, um, you know, briefly meet him and get my book autographed by him, which was which was oh, a fun cool. experience. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Ever the nerd, right? <laughs> So, all right. So now we're going to get into a little bit more of the history. That kind of gives you a brief overview of them. So Bad Religion have been role models for many second generation punk bands since the early 90s. Uh, they've been around for over 25 years, collected a devout and steady, steadily growing fan base. Their provocative lyrics sang on fast, melodic, though sometimes aggressive guitar playing backed with harmonies. It became their trademark. Mm. But how did it start out? Um, they were a do-it-yourself punk rock band, and they became extremely influential. So in 1979, at the age of 15, Gregory Walter Graffin discovered uh, the radio show Rodney on the Rock on K-Rock. This was in Southern California. Yeah, K-R-O-Q. Yep, K-Rock. Yep, absolutely. Anytime I go to California these days, I have to turn it on to K-Rock. And um, nine out of 10 times, the minute I turn it on, as soon as I'm within reception area, it is either a bad religion song or a social distortion song playing almost <laughs> as if K-Rock has sensed that I am back in the area and welcoming me with open arms again. Very cool. So, yeah. So Rodney on the Rock, um, Rodney, Rodney Bingenheimer, also a legend in his own right. We could actually do oh, a yeah. show on him. Oh, he's, he's just incredible. This, yeah. this man is just amazing. His experiences uh, are just unreal. His, yeah. His experiences, how humble he is, and just the amount of effort and work he has done just by giving bands a chance, a platform. You know, back in the days, people would just send him a tape. Mm -hmm. And he'd play it. Yeah. And, and it would get them exposure out there. He was just, he was incredible. But that would be another show. <laughs> um, Rodney was known for featuring the latest punk and new wave releases from the UK and New York. Um, but possibly more importantly was that the show also played a lot of unknown punk music from the Los Angeles scene. For Graffin, the show was a revelation. Finally, he had found something he could identify with. At his school, only quite a few other kids were interested in this scene. Um, just a few of those were proper musicians. One of them was drummer Jay Ziskout. Ziskrout. I always say his name wrong. Sorry, <laughs> Jay Ziskrout. We apologize. Together, yeah. yep, yep, we apologize. Please don't. Don't, again, with those vegetables. Together, they decided it was time to start a band in their favorite genre. A guitarist was found in Brett Gerwitz from Woodland Hills, California. Fun fact! Fun fact! Woodland Hills, California is where Bad Religion started. 
um, my roommate and dear friend of like 15 years went to the same high school, graduated from the same high school that uh, most of Bad Religion attended, Camino de Real. I'm going to say yeah, it wrong. And that's I great. Apologize. Camino de Real. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's where um, Aaron went to high school. They were a couple of years ahead of Aaron, but they were in the graduating class of his brother. Okay. Now, he, yeah, he's, I, of course, I was like, holy crap, you need to find out if your brother knew any of these people. <laughs> um, his brother, his brother didn't remember anybody, didn't remember anybody from the group, but you know, there's a fun fact and a Perfect. weird, weird tie to the podcast. So there we go. Yay. Very cool. Yeah. So back to uh, Gerwitz was from Woodland Hills, who was introduced to them through mutual friend. At that time, Brett also had already played in a new wave band um, called The Quarks. Now that name just makes me laugh. Just looking at the intelligence of these guys in, in this band. Yeah, they're the definitely Quarks. they're definitely a cut above, you know. And it shows. Yes. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. He preferred punk music over new wave, so it wasn't a problem to quit quarks and join um greg graffin and jay bentley's band besides that he also owned an amp and a van when somebody's got an amp and somebody's got transportation to haul yeah. the equipment you can get Ooh, to any band that in, way yeah yeah you're in the band Congrats. so yeah with breath arrival a new band was born the trio started to really rehearse but in a few weeks they noticed that there was something missing a bass player uh, as always dun, the case dun, dun. yeah yep that's the other key. If, yeah. you have a, if you have an amp, a van, and a bass, go anywhere you want. That's it. Yeah, no kidding. So Jay Bentley, who went to the same school as Greg, became the band's newest member after Greg had contacted him. Bentley, however, was originally a guitarist and wanted to be in a band. So that, but he wanted to be in a band, so he agreed to play the bass, even though he didn't know how to play it. Not unheard of. A lot of guys nope. do that. I think Tom McGinnis pulled sure. that one off too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. <laughs> Tom McGinnis. Oh, Manfred Man's Earth Band. Whoa. <laughs> Take it away, Tom. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Tom McGuinness, and that was your federally mandated Manfred Man reference of the podcast. I hope you are satisfied. It is one of and our greatest achievements. Folks, yes, we are always satisfied. Every time. So, Tom. Every time. So thank you, Tom McGuinness. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. 
Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. All right. Where was I? Uh, la, 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 la. We're so professional here. Oh, yeah. Always. Only the best. Yep. Basically, he, sure. he agreed to play bass because uh, he was a guitar player. That's right. Like, I'll play bass to be in your band, which is, yep. again, something yep. people do. For sure. Yeah. So now completed with Jay Bentley, the band still needed to come up with a name. Several names for were considered. So here's some here's some good um, good ones that were spitballed. Oh, these are always fun. Yeah. Smegma. Catchy, but yeah. <laughs> yep, stinky. Yeah. Wow. Um, yep, yep. Then we have the the popular head cheese. I I, I sense a theme. Uh, I sense a, a yeah. more of a a rung of uh, <laughs> of uh, sophistication. Yep. So here here's the one that I really think they should have gone with, and this would have like made them like like huge worldwide, um, huge arena selling band. You ready for this? Let's do it. Vaginal discharge. Yeah, again, I sense I sense a theme. Yep. And then we've got bad family life. Not my favorite. No. But finally, yeah. But finally they agreed that bad religion was the name. So they ended up coming up with what what's what's lovingly known of as the Crossbuster, which is their logo. Um, the Crossbuster is basically imagine a no parking sign, but instead of the P, you have a cross. That became that yep, the Crossbuster insignia became their logo. The idea uh, behind both the band name and the logo weren't meant to be anti-religious. It was their way to define religion as any kind of social group that pres- prescribes a certain to a certain way of thinking. Hmm. So they're not telling you that religion's bad. They're just saying that, you know, it's not what it's necessarily served up to be. Mm-hmm. It's not quite black and white like that, right? Right. So, all right. So Greg Graffin's garage became the band's official rehearsal space. And it was nicknamed the Hellhole. Fun fact. Fun fact. There's there's a famous picture out there of bad religion in the Hellhole, and in that picture, my friend, my friend that I mentioned earlier, Fred Wright, he was there during that performance. No way. Yeah. So my my buddy Fred, um, he's just like one of those people that you, you meet certain people in life, kind of like how I ended up meeting you guys. <laughs> you just meet you just meet people in your life that end up being, you know, forever friends for whatever reason. It just paths just cross. Fred's um probably 10 years older than me. Um, so he was there during the forming of all of this stuff happening in SoCal. He was in a lot of bands. Um, so yeah, so Fred to this day, a very dear friend of mine, but he was there at the hellhole. Very cool. Oh yeah. All right. So they usually rehearsed when Greg's mom was at work from the beginning. The band had already gathered a small fan base, um, local kids. They would pass by and hang out in front of the garage. Hello, Lydia. You can hear her. I can. I am upstairs. You should not be able to hear her. She's being loud. That's okay. She's got a lot to say. She likes bad religion. Clearly. Mm-hmm. So it didn't take long before the four musicians entered studio to record their first demo. 
The tape was spread around amongst friends, like that's how it was done back then. One of those friends was Lucky Learer, drummer for the Southern California punk band, The Circle Jerks. When Learer was invited to Rodney on the Rock, he took the opportunity to introduce Bad Religion to the radio audience by giving the tape to Rodney. And in a matter of time, Bad Religion debuted as an opening band for Social Distortion. That's a show I would love to have seen. I am a big Social D fan, so... Yeah, I'd be all over that. How could you not be? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So the band was now set on recording their first EP. To put it out, Greg and Brett decided to form their own label, Epitaph. The self-titled EP was first recorded in a small studio run run by a Ziskraut's drum teacher. However, the band decided to master their first vinyl at the Gold Star Recording Studio in Hollywood. So with the success of this EP and a $1,000 loan from Brett's father, Richard Gerwitz, the band could now record How Could the Hell Be Any Worse? This was their debut album that was released in 1982. During the recording of How Could Hell Be Any Worse, Jay Ziskraut left the band without any particular reason. Just, eh, done. Alrighty. So as they were halfway finished with the, with the recording, the band needed a drummer to finish it. Without auditioning, Pete Finestone, a local, local Valley guy, became the new drummer. They first practiced a couple of times before returning to the studio to finish the album. The album also featured guests uh, Greg Hetson. He was a guitarist in the Circle Jerks and Red Cross, and uh, who also played on one of the tracks. So after the success of How Could Hell Be Any Worse, the following year became a break breakdown as the band seemed to be falling apart. The punk scene was totally disillusioned. Greg Graffin was getting ready to go to college in Madison, Wisconsin. Gerwitz started already in 1982 getting into drugs. Feinstone left the band to study in England and Jay Bentley walked out of the studio when they were recording the first song on their second album. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Complete implosion. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Boom. So the main reason Jay quit the band was that he didn't agree on the new sound of the band. Greg gotten a Roland June 6 synthesizer and he only used one polyrhythm which sounded monotonous. Hmm. Besides the breakdown of the punk scene, Greg also started to see the band more as a hobby than as something serious. In 83, the second album Into the Unknown was finished with a new drummer, Davey Goldman and bassist Paul Dedana. After recording Into the Unknown, Greg moved to Madison to get in-state tuition. Brett had to shut down the Epitaph label as it was bankrupt and continued working at Chameleon. Oh, so they did Jay declare ben- bankruptcy? Yeah. Oh, wow. It was bankrupt. I don't know if they ever really declared bankruptcy or not, but it was basically bankrupt. Got it. Yep. Jay Bentley was the only one who was still playing in a band. After leaving Bad Religion, he was asked to join another favorite band of mine, TSOL. At that time, he also played in a local band called Wasted Youth. When TSOL's original bassist returned to the band, Jay left and joined another band called Cathedral of Tears. But in no time, Cathedral of Tears broke up and Wasted Youth underwent a change in lineup and Jay was no longer in a band. So... When Greg Graffin didn't manage to get the in-state tuition he when he moved, he was forced to move back to California where he enrolled in UCLA and Los Angeles. Very cool. Yeah. At that time, it was Greg Hetson who contacted Greg Graffin to convince him to reform Bad Religion again. Hetson became the new guitarist as the Circle Jerks were taking a year off. Together with Pete Finestone, who had returned from English, and Tim Gallegos from Wasted Youth, the band started playing shows again. Somewhere between 84 and 85, Greg Graffin asked John Albert to fill in Pete's place when he left to England. In 85, the band released once again an EP, Back to the Known, and the band started it to tour 
in places other than Southern California. So by 86, Jay Bentley was asked to rejoin the band. He first rejected the request, but Graffin managed to convince him that everything had changed and that the set list was built up out of songs from How Could Hell Be Any Worse. By that time, Jay had rejoined Bad Religion. John Alpert quietly left the band. Fortunately enough, Lucky Lira once again offered to help by taking taking place behind the drum kit in September of 1987. Meanwhile, Graffin and Jay occasionally bumped into Brett Gerwitz, who had quit doing drugs at this point, but they couldn't convince him to come back to the band. After the failure of Into the Unknown, Brett wasn't so sure about acceptance of the band in Southern Cal- in the Southern California punk scene. Time was passing, and Bad Religion was back in the scene and playing shows again. But when Greg Hudson had to tour with the Circle Jerks, there was no guitarist in the band. Brett decided to fill up the place with for only one show in San Francisco. That show reunited Brett with the band again. All right. During the time that Brett wasn't in the band, he was working as a studio engineer. Together with Donnell Cameron, he had founded another studio, West Beach Recorders, which later on became the first base for his revived label, Epitaph. Bad Religion's next album, Suffer, uh, their first independently distributed record. After numerous lineup changes, Pete Finestone replaced Lucky Lura again. The band started to record their third album. No one knew what impact it was going to have on the punk scene. In 88, the Southern California scene was as anemic as death. Punk rock was passe and no longer hip or cool. Hardcore and straight edge music had become separate scenes, something that the band couldn't relate to. However, the new record caused a gigantic boost for the Southern California punk punk scene and keeping it alive. In 1989, Suffer was followed by another success, No Control. The band kept on selling more albums than ever before. They still had to keep their jobs, though. Touring didn't quite bring bring in enough money for anybody to live from. So they still needed to work. Even worse was that their first American tour ended with a loss of $2,000. It was a German promoter who offered the solution. Bad Religion had to tour somewhere else than the U.S., like overseas in Europe. The band was quite hesitant. They finally gave in, and unexpectedly, the European tour ended up being a success. From 1989 to 1991, Bad Religion continued touring Europe and only playing some U.S. West Coast shows every now and again. All right, so now we're to 1990. The next album, Against the Grain, yep, in 1990, finally showed the band's own style. The harmonies became the trademark of the band. The same year, Greg Graffin had completed his master degree at UCLA and was planning to move to Ithaca, New York, to take part in a doctoral doctoral program. Words are hard, folks. Um, In evolutionary biology at Cornell University. It's kind of following the path of... uh... Was it Dexter from The Offspring who became a doctor? Uh, he was doing this slightly before Dexter, I believe. Right. Yeah. No, so yeah, yeah. He predated him. But yeah, again, never assume that musicians aren't smart folks because nope. many of them are. Um, yeah. We have Brian May. Sir Dr. Brian May. Yep. Tom Sir Schultz Dr. from Tom. Boston. That's right. He's got a doctorate. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Teaches Lo- at MIT. Low Faber from God Street Wine is Dr. Low Faber. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So. That always make that always just amazes me that people can do that. It's it's just fascinating to me. Music is, I mean, it's sort of a science unto itself. So I absolutely think of it that way. It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So uh, Cornell University. Um, now Greg Hudson worried about the band's future, but Greg Graffin could reassure him that nothing would change. Even when Pete Finestone decided to leave the band for his side project, The Fisherman, the band just looked for someone who could replace him. Bobby Shayer. Fun fact. Fun fact. 
Mr. Bobby Share, who is a pal of mine, is my birthday twin. <gasps> That's cool. December 23rd. Nice. Yes. So Bobby had been a longtime fan of the band and was known as being a talented drummer. In 1980, he started drumming after he learned to play both guitar and bass. In 1988, he joined his first band called The Questions. If it wasn't because of his love for the band that Bobby was asked to join Bad Religion, it was because of his first drum teacher, Lucky Lehrer, who showed him his drum techniques. Hmm. <clears throat> and so it was quite likable that one circle jerk, Greg Hudson, called Bobby asking him if he was interested in, uh, in becoming Bad Religion's new drummer. Bobby, however, was still in a band called Two Free Stooges. But after doing an audition, he was accepted as the new drummer. By the end of 1991, the band started to work on their own um, on their following album, Generator. During the recording process of Generator, the Gulf War reached its climax when Baghdad was bombed. When the San Francisco-based fanzine Maximum Rock and Roll approached Bad Religion with the question if they were willing to take part in recording a protest EP with Noam Chomsky, the band immediately recorded two songs, Heaven is Falling and Fertile Crescent. Even though these songs were meant for the Generator album, the tracks also appeared on the New World Order War number one. So with Generator, the band signed a 60-page record contract with Epitaph Records. Holy. Yep, I guess those are some big big contracts clearly yeah so it was the first time that they had signed such a major contract without being on a major label the following record became a success too comparing with the former records recipe for hate was more experimental catchier and less aggressive which made it more accessible however the success of recipe for hate also had also had a major impact on epitaph the label could just no longer handle the growing pressure in 93, the band left Epitaph and signed with Atlantic Records. All righty. Their first recorded album for Atlantic was Stranger Than Fiction. This is, where my, this is where my discography comes in. I think that was the first Bad Religion album I ever heard. Was Stranger yeah, and it's a good yeah. one. Yep, oh, yeah, it's a good one. After the recording, Brett decided to leave the band to concentrate on Epitaph, which had become the largest independent label because of the success of the Offsprings album, Smash. However, Epitaph was not only the main reason for Brett's departure. His arguments with other members, especially Jay, were crucial to leave Bad Religion on no good terms. Soon, Brian Baker, guitarist and bassist in bands such as Minor Threat, Dag Nasty, and Junkyard, was offered to replace Brett. Without Brett, the entire songwriting process had changed as Greg Graffin became the band's primary songwriter. After having recorded all of the demos by himself, a new album was released in 1996, The Grey Race. They continued touring, and The Grey Race found its greatest success in Europe. During the 1996 tour, the band recorded several shows. Um, some of the recordings ended up on their first live album in 1997, named Tested. Even after releasing two records within two years, the band seemed unstoppable. The year 1998 welcomed No Substance. This was Bad Religion's 10th studio album. This time, the entire band had worked together on the songwriting process. However, the band's popularity continued to decline ever since Brett's departure. After the poor recording sales, Greg Graffin decided to write and record the next record himself. The album became more personal and less social political. Meanwhile, Brett wasn't doing all right. Ever since his departure and the success of The Offspring, 
he had been struggling with a crack, heroin, and alcohol addiction. Yikes. And eventually, yeah, eventually got arrested and sentenced to jail. During his absence in Bad Religion, Brett had founded, together with Gore Verbinski and Josh Fries, a new band called The Daredevils. However, after recording the single Hate You, which was reportedly directed at Jay Bentley, the band fell apart. Nevertheless, in the end of the, the Daredevils wasn't the end of Brett's musical career. It was Greg Graffin who kept in touch with Brett all of the time. And in 2000, Brett joined Bad Religion, once only to co-write and play the guitar on, on the song Believe It on Bad Religion's album, The New America. The New America was considered to be a small improvement comparing with no substance. Uh, the band still seemed to have lost their way over the years. The following year, 2001, brought quite some changes. Bobby Shayer had to leave the band as he was no longer able to drum professionally due to a chronic progressive shoulder injury. However, instead of one, the band embraced two new members. Brooks Wackerman. Oh man, that name. That is Wackerman. priceless. Brooks uh, you know, Wackerman. He's incredible. He's an incredible musician, but oh my God, I bet he got made fun of growing up. I feel like he could only be a musician or a weatherman. I know, right? Or, or a private right? investigator. Yep, something, man. Brooks Wackerman replaced Bobby. And Brett Gerwitz made his comeback in the band after a six-year hiatus. Brooks, often referred to as a drum prodigy, had played ever since his childhood in several bands, such as Bad for Good, The Vandals, and Suicidal Tendencies. Hey, Thea, I hate to cut in here, but we are going to take a short break for our sponsors. Okay, we're back. The arrival of the two members wasn't the only change the band underwent. They also departed from Atlantic Records and returned to Epitaph. Circles with this band, right? Like, yeah. It's a, it's a small, incestuous world, that punk rock. It really is. And just, the, again, the, the revolving door of members, is it's almost comical at this point. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 who just keeps coming back? So, yeah, all must, right. Must mean something if they keep returning. I mean. Yeah, there's something there. So the renewed co collaboration between Greg Graffin and Brett Gerwitz brought the band to, to a peak again. When they released their 12th studio album, The Process of Belief, in 2002, this is truly one of my favorites. The success of The Process of Belief um, showed that it was the right direction to start co-writing songs again. Brett still had his duties at Epitaph, so touring with the band didn't seem very realistic. He stayed as a band member, but only played shows in Southern California, in the Southern California region. I've seen Bad Religion more than 50 times, Will. Oh, jeez. Wow. I, Yeah, yeah. I think I've only ever seen Brett, or Mr. Brett, as he's fondly called in the community. Um, I've only seen Mr. Brett perform with them maybe three times. That's it. Wow. And in 50 yep. showings. That's... Yep, absolutely. So, in June of 2004, The Empire Strikes First was released. This is another one of my favorite albums. That's, that's another um, one that pops out to me. And that's sort of like... Again, a little bit later, I mean, you're talking about like, again, post Offspring, post Green Day, kind of a different mm -hmm. one of one of their resurgences, which they just seem to keep coming back. Yeah, absolutely. Incredible band, incredible album to me. I love the lyrics. It is very political yeah. um, in a lot of ways. It's, it's, it's a killer album, though. Absolutely. So, yeah. So comparing with all their other albums, this one tended to be their first their first concept album. It was bad, bad religion's way to show their dissatisfaction about the Bush administration and its war on terrorism. And let me tell you, it shows. Oh, yeah. There's no mistaking it. Nope. So in 2004 and 2006, the band continued touring all around the world, even released their first live DVD called Live at the Palladium. Great DVD. During 2006. Yeah. 
you should find oh, it. Nice. Cool. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, no worries. Um, so during 2006, the band started to write and record a new album. And we'll go into that when I get to the next page. All right. So meanwhile, Greg Raffin had to combine the recording of the album with his lectures at UCLA, where he'd become the teacher of life, of life sciences after getting his PhD in zoology at Cornell University. In 2007, New Maps of Hell was released, 25 years after the release of their first album, How Could Hell Be Any Worse? Even after almost 30 years with numerous changes in lineup, they are still motivated and energetic enough to record more albums. During the 30th anniversary House of Blues tour, the band recorded their second live album, 30 Years Live, to celebrate their 30th anniversary. After the House of Blues tour, the band immediately started recording their 15th studio album named The Descent of Man, which was released on September 28th of 2010. During the summer of 2012, the band started to record a new album with Joe Baresi, their 16th, um, their six, this was their 16th album, True North. This was released on January 22nd of 2013. Not so long after True North was released, noteworthy changes occurred. Nine perennial, I'm sorry, nine perennial guitar, uh, guitarist Greg Hetson and percussionist of 15 years Brooks Wackerman saw their lives take them in other directions and both resigned from bad religion. Such developments can be devastating for some bands, but not all. Fortunately for everyone, competent successors were found in Mike Dimkick. Dimkitch, Dimkick, I can't ever say his name right either. <laughs> I'm sorry, Michael, and Jamie Miller, respectively. And the band was able to carry on. New Bad Religion songs were not immediately forthcoming. However, through many bemoaned and long and in long wait for what lay in store, it should be understood that the individual members of Bad Religion have very full plates. Which to say, they must balance various um, competing interests family, non-bad religion careers, life obligations. It would therefore be six years before the next full-length bad religion record would, would provoke thought and inspirit mosh pits around the world. <laughs> During those six years, the longest time ever between bad religion album releases, listeners were grudgingly compelled to, um, to content themselves with a number of reissues, along with singles, The Kids Are Alt-Right, that's a jaunty little tune, by the way. Yeah and the profane rights of man. Naturally, there was much grumbling and speculation on parts of pundit, critics, and fans. In the end, it became evident that bad religion had in fact been hard at work for some time, stubbornly refusing to be rushed into their into releasing a subpar by their own standards record. Finally, the 17th bad religion album, Age of Unreason, was released on May 3rd of 2019 via Epitaph Records. Age of Unreason simultaneously expresses the group's still Eurydite worldviews, pays homage to the band's stylings, both modern and vintage, and proves the time-honored tradition that is potent even in this New Skull era. So after approximately 40 years, Bad Religion remains quite vivacious and quite peerless. So I do have to give the vast majority of credit to most of this to Jesse and Justin of the badreligionpage.net. Um, they, these are people that have done years and years of research, um, and kept up this resource, uh, for, for, for more than 25 years, I would say at this point. Um, so I do have to give them credit for, and thank you for making this information available. So I want to 
kind of sidetrack a little bit here. Um, Greg Graffin, really cool, incredibly intelligent man, obviously with his career with Bad Religion, um, you know, his his professional career, um, educator, et cetera. So Gra Graffin also has his own solo career. Um, cool. He recorded a, yeah, he recorded a solo album in 1997 called American Legion. This is considered, um, it's consisted of more of softer, more pop oriented folk songs. Most of this album was written during the break of his marriage, and the song reflects this in the lyrics and its style. In 2005, Graffin recorded his second solo album, Cold as the Clay. The album is an amalgamation of new songs by Graffin and 18th and 19th century folk songs. This was produced by Brett Gerwitz and released via Anti on July 10th of 2006. And in September 2015 interview, Greg revealed that he had been working on his third solo album on which he planned to continue the folk style of Coldest Clay. That record, Millport, was released on March 10th of 2017. It was co-written and produced by Gerwitz and features members of Social Distortion as backing musicians. Very cool. So, yep. And here's a little bit more here. A um, little bit more about Graffin. Graffin's always been, you know, kind of um, a hero to me, you know, because there's there's this guy that's, you know, in, in probably one of the most poignant punk rock bands of all time, yet he's extremely intelligent, extremely educated. So I wanted to tell a little bit more about his background. So Graffin attended El Camino um, Real High School. He then obtained both his, uh, his BA in biology, BS in geology, and master's in geology at the University of California. Los Angeles, UCLA. He went on to earn his PhD in zoology from Cornell University. The PhD dissertation was supervised by William B. Provine. After years of being out of print, the title of his dissertation changed to Evolution and Religion, Questioning the Beliefs of the World's Eminent Evolutionists. Graffin returned to US UCLA where he taught nat natural science courses. In a June 2008 interview with uh, Bad Religion bassist Jay Bentley, he mentioned that Graffid would be teaching there from January to March of 2009. In April of 2011, Graffin revealed that he would return to Cornell University that fall to co-teach for 14 weeks. In 2011, the new type species, I'm going to butcher this, <laughs> Quilinia graffini, Oh, oh of an extinct, yep, of an extinct bird from the Lower Cretaceous was named after Graffin for his contributions to evolutionary biology, his public outreach through music, and his inspiration to young scientists around the world. That's really cool. Work, yeah. So work as an author and an educator. Just a bit more here. Graffin received the Rushdie Award for Cultural Human um, Humanism from the Harvard Humanist Chap. Chaplaincy, chaplain, chaplaincy. Chaplaincy. Thank you. In 2008. Through 2003, Graffin was engaged in an ongoing email discussion with Preston Jones, a historian at the Christian John Brown University in Arkansas and a fan of bad religion. The informal philosophical debate that resulted was published in a book titled, Is Belief in God Good, Bad, or Irrelevant? A professor and punk rocker discuss science, religion, naturalism, and Christianity in 2006. In 2009, Graffin announced that he had co-written a book with the American author Steve Olson titled Anarchy Evolution, 
released on September 28th of 2010. The same day, his band Bad Bad Religion released their 15th album, The Descent of Man. In his book, Graffin writes that he is an atheist. I've never believed in God, which technically makes me an atheist. Although Graffin is not religious, he prefers to identify as a naturalist rather than an atheist. Naturalism is a belief system. A lot of scientists bristle at that. We all have to believe that we can find the truth. Evidence is my guide. I rely on observation, experimentation, and verification. He also filmed and co-produced a television pilot called Punk Professor. In 2010, he commented on the project, it's sitting on someone's shelf waiting to be developed. I'm not actually pursuing it. I said, yeah, I'll shoot the pilot. Then it's out of my hands. (laughs) On March 12th, yep. On March 24th of 2012, Bad Religion headlined the Reason Rally in in Washington, D.C., where Graffin performed the U.S. National Anthem. Another book entitled Population Wars was released in September of 2015. It had been in the works since since at least April of 2011, and Graffin spoke about it to be a bit more in-depth about the process of evolution. In November of 2015, in a November of 2015 interview, Pop Matters journalist J.C. Mackick III for Graffin's book Population Wars. Graffin stated, I've made a lot of mistakes, but you can't dwell on mistakes because life is about an adventure. It's about discovery, and you'll learn from your mistakes. So unless you're completely shut down to improving your life, I believe you can continue learning until you are very, very old. (laughs) You have to look at those past missteps as learning experiences. And that, as they say, is that, ladies and gentlemen, that is a history of bad religion and some more information about um, one of my heroes in life, Mr. Greg Graffin. That's awesome, Thea. And he's kind of guy I just want to sit down and have a beer with and just hear him talk. You know, no just tell stories. Tell me about anything. I don't care. Yeah. Yep. Um, absolutely. What an interesting cat. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's great to celebrate yeah. people who are actually still with us. Um, you know, a lot of the time our show is a bit of a gloomy overtone to it. But, um, you know, this time we're able to spice it up a little bit, make it exciting. You know, uh, Bad Religion is still on. And, and they still tour, if I'm not mistaken. No. Yep. Like yeah. I said um, earlier, I just saw them a couple weeks ago, yeah. and they were—they're still at the top of their game, and 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 I, you know, and they ne- they never cease to amaze me. Um, this, and I love that they're still out there and doing it. They do what they want. On this yeah. tour, they played songs that I had never heard them do live before, and it was it was definitely a departure from their normal set lists. But I was all about it. I couldn't be mad at it at all. I was so happy. It was so good. So awesome. I really, yeah, I really like the fact that while they will bring, they will play the standards, you know, songs that are must, you know, that that everybody wants to hear. But they also cater to their fans as well. You know, those of us that have been in it for the long haul, and mm-hmm. they they play stuff that we want to hear. So that just makes me happy. Very cool. Excellent. Well, I just want to say thank you, Thea, for putting this together and teaching us a little bit about, you know, a band that means so much to you and adding a new dimension to our show. I think this is going to be awesome. Absolutely. And I haven't decided on who our next guest or who our next episode for the admin Thea's Not Dead Yet report is going to be, (laughs) but uh, I'll get it out there once I once I come up with it. That's very cool. In the meantime, you can check us out, folks. Uh, if you liked this episode, uh, let's say you wanted to hear this, you go, hey, I want to hear that before anybody else. 
that's awesome. You can be part of our Patreon community. Patreon community is so important, folks. It helps us build this show, helps us add segments like this that Thea put together. It makes you part of the show, you know, help us bring you the content you're looking for on the artists you love. Check out our Patreon for more information. It is patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven. That's rock and roll, not rock and roll. Uh, we are on Twitter, but it's a desert wasteland and we don't have our password, so don't expect any new content popping up there. But we are very active on Instagram and Facebook where admin Thea is really making a difference there uh we are at rock and roll heaven lt on instagram rock and roll heaven pod on facebook still not saying our website folks tiktok we are there as well at rock and roll heaven pod you can find us and drop us a line at rock and roll heaven lt at gmail.com talk to us about what you think of the show ideas thoughts questions we are here for you and uh, we are a member of the Pantheon community. Very grateful for that. You can check our show out along with many other great shows about music and many other topics at the Pantheon Podcast Network. That's www.pantheonpodcast.com. All right. Care to close us out on this one, Thea? Absolutely. Thank you guys for joining in. Um, looking forward to feedback. I'm very approachable out on our social, so uh, don't hesitate to reach out. Um, I love interacting with people. And uh, take care of yourselves, be kind to yourselves. and be It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.